2: Hey everybody, welcome to episode three hundred and fifty nine of the More Just Code Podcast. My name is Timetra, I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark down in San Jose, California. Hello. And we also have Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, so we had, uh, one little fact check thing that, that I put on here was we've we've talked about this many many times on the show where we've always sort of tried to figure out how many uh developers there are out there and this figure came to me from Adam Rush of Swiftly Rush that there are um 2.8 million iOS developers worldwide. And I think I think you know, I think when we started the show there was like maybe 160,000 or something like that. Like it's it's grown, grown quite a bit. So, and that leads us into like this. The whole discussion today is going to be a bit around the WWDC lottery and what your chances are of getting in. But um, yeah, two point eight million.
3: How do they define an iOS developer? Just anyone with a development account?
2: I maybe. Uh, I don't. I don't know where the actual number comes from, but um, it could be like people who are. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's actually producing them or. Yeah, it must. Maybe it's. Maybe it's you know forking over the cash because anybody can get Xcode these days, right? Um, in fact, QA departments grab Xcode, you know, just, in, and I know Android developers who even install Xcode so they can get the command line tools, not knowing you can just download the command line tools, but, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know where the number comes from. I'll, I can, maybe I can dig in and ask him. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, he's a fellow from uh, the Ray like days, I believe. Cool. So, I mean, you added this fact check in here about Bitcoin. What's what's your story there?
1: Not a fact check. We don't do that on this show. This is follow-up. Oh, follow-up. Follow-up. Sorry. Yeah.
2: No, I did have a fact check. That's what the last part was.
1: We make no claims. <laughs> Financial, <laughs> technical, spiritual, moral, or otherwise on more than just code. So uh, I am proclaiming this follow-up because I'm sure we've talked about cryptocurrency at some point. I saw this right before I, we started recording this show. That uh, this is the title. It, the The news is in the title of his blog post. The Bitcoin white paper is hidden in every modern copy of macOS, and I just confirmed this myself because I uh, I didn't run the command that they describe. I uh, went to the terminal and navigated myself to System Library Image Capture Devices Virtual Scanner dot app. Contents, resources, and then did a little LS to see what's in there. There is, in fact, a simple doc.pdf. And when I open that, I have preview that says Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system by Satoshi Nakamoto. What? It's actually there. <laughs>
3: I'm checking myself here.
1: Yeah. Not that I don't believe you, but I want to prove it. It says if you're on Mac OS 10.14 or later. Really? Yeah, there it is. So, so yeah, so, what, so
3: what, do you think someone just accidentally checked that in years ago? <laughs> I wonder about that too. Forgot about it?
1: I wonder. Wow. <laughs> yeah, like wow. somebody wanted to, you know, have something to test and they, you know, they didn't put something in their gitignore file they should have to, to keep this out or they just were not practicing good hygiene to uh, to review, you know, what what did you put in there and this is as reasonable a pdf as any. Um yeah. Or actually, it's in the it's in the
3: support for uh, scanners. So I wonder if that was just a part of a unit test
2: that got through. Mm-hmm. Could be. Yeah. Interesting. Well, this reminds me of the uh, the other follow up story, which which I'll put it, I'll find a link and I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, the Paula Abdul Easter egg that used to be in Mac OS, right? <laughs> Do you guys remember that one? Some some uh, Apple developer was uh working for Apple was a, was a uh, Paula Abdul fan, so he he uh, put the uh Paula Abdul image into I think it was like iOS seven or Iowa or sorry, System seven or system eight or Mac OS eight.
1: Cool. Oh I I was not of that era for uh, joining the Mac OS family because you said system seven or eight or nine, which means oh, yeah, not yeah, Mac yeah, OS a time ago. So um I, I did not see that myself, but
2: it's back in the nineties, I'm trying to remember mm-hmm trying to find a link to it but i'm, I'm pretty, uh, pretty sure yeah hidden easter apple easter eggs 10 secrets yeah anyway i'll have a link to the to this video in here but yeah up duel was once was once embedded into mac os of some type when it was system software i think right back back in the old 68k days all right um so yeah we'll move on to our main topic so i got a couple of things here that uh, obviously we're here to talk about wwc coming up but um to start off with uh i wanted to ask you guys this is a, a uh subject that came up i think it was introduced last year wwc was this new apple data protection um and there's a question because uh, I'd, I'd read that some people were having trouble restoring from backup because they had um enabled apple data protection um which is basically a, a, like a sort of a two another two-factor authentication or two-factor encrypting that happens on your devices. I don't know if are you guys familiar with this. A
3: little bit. Yeah, yeah it's, it's oh. more it's encryption. I don't think it's it's two-factor authentication. Yeah,
2: yeah. But it's meant to it's meant to protect your data that's stored in iCloud, if I'm not mistaken. Right. 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 And so the question is, like, would should we be enabling it? Should we not be enabling it? Like, what would be the caveats about turning it on? Because I I heard potential horror story is that if you lose your key or whatever, then you could yeah. potentially lose your data, right?
3: Yeah. I think the answer is we probably should all be using it, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but I actually don't. I don't use it. Uh, yeah. And no particular reason. I just kind of never got around to turning it on. And you're right. There is the problem that you just mentioned that since it's encrypted on the server, if you lose that key, it's gone. Even Apple can't open it up. So it's a little bit dangerous.
1: Yeah, it's always a worry. Yep. What do you think, Jaime? Yeah, when when the news of this came out, I, I thought about it, and I said, well, there are other things you can do, like you can set somebody up, uh, maybe multiple people, I forget, um, as like trusted parties so usually this would be like you know a a parent a a child if you have a you know of age child or a sibling a spouse or something you know somebody you would you would trust and be like hey everything's broke you are the emergency who can help me unlock this right so there's the the non-apple party that can help you out i uh didn't go through with this because my significant other is an android user and so the only ios device you would have is an iPad mini which just isn't that effective of a, a backup for the situation and I decided that even though it would be nice to have this extra bit of encryption I'd rather not lose the photos of grandma at the expense of you know the FBI can go subpoena Apple and find some nefarious thing about me <laughs> right like that's that's the trade-off there
2: well don't do bad things Jaime that's the first trick, right <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you've heard hadn't, hadn't been told that one, but there is, um, there is, because I have like the family sharing t- thing turned on on my account and, um but, and I've also designated a, a, a trusted member of my family to be my, I, I, what do you call it, legacy contact, right? And uh, what you do is you, you, you let them know you're going to do that and they become the person who can, you know, uh, access your data after you're gone. If that's, you know, if that's your plan. You're like, going somewhere, the, Tim. Well, eventually, we're all going somewhere, Mark. But uh, the the reality is kind of like insurance. Right? It's, it, it, what happens is you send them. You can actually print it out, or you can, or you can just email it to them, or whatever. But they get a they get a barcode that lets them have access. That's sort of like a backdoor key to get to your, your data. Should you no longer be able to pr- provide a face ID or, or touch ID kind of <laughs> to, to unlock anything, right? So, so you're
3: prepared. You're making sure that that someone's going to be able to continue the development of device tracker when you're gone. Good man. Yeah. 100%. Good man. And
2: Pi Day Countdown. Don't forget yeah, the legacy right. of that, that's right. that one. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They'll be calling you as soon as I'm gone, Mark. Trust me. <laughs>
1: uh, <you're laughs> they can just do, you know, weekend at Bernie's with my body if they really need to get into my device.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought we, I thought we established when they came out with face ID and touch ID that it wouldn't work with a, 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 a cadaver. Well, right there has to. I mean you,
1: you, you just got to be careful about moving my uh my eyes to look forward at, at the device cuz I do have the um the extra setting that is like uh attention mode or something to verify that it, not just your face but you're actually looking at it. So that's maybe a little bit more awkward. Um for touch ID, I I think if you just sort of warmed up the person, you know, with <laughs> enough for it to to be noticeable, it's probably good. I mean well, well too, now, that you've got,
3: go that quickly. now that you've got Mac with his own phone and Face ID working there, then...
2: And he's got no a california. Driver, california driver's license. Don't forget that, too, right?
3: Does he? I didn't know that. He
2: does. Oh. My dog has a driver's, California driver's license. Yep.
3: Excellent. Excellent. So he passed the, the written test?
2: I don't think there is a test mark in California for a driver's license. You yeah, know, there california, is. My dog, my dog has a license, so what can I tell you? I don't know. When I moved to California, I had to take a test. Well, maybe you should have been a canine. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. So let's move on to the next story, I think, is how many you get the Apple Pay one?
1: Yeah, a few different ones related to, you know, Apple and financial services, and then one yeah you know, sort of vaguely adjacent when it comes to um you know passwords and stuff. So the short news is for people who are in South Korea, good news, Apple Pay is available to you now. Uh, apparently this is long delayed due to regulatory um uh, stuff that's occurred, um, it brings it to what more than seventy countries and regions with over ten thousand banks across the globe for Apple Pay. So you know the Apple Pay you have is is even more useful. Uh, people do point out that in South Korea, apparently only about ten percent of the two point nine million local retailers reportedly have NFC enabled in their credit card terminals, but there is an installation increase expected by the end of this year. Uh, it does go into competition with Samsung Pay. I don't know what Naver Pay is, and I have heard of Kakao Pay. So more more digital payment options. Um, if you are a listener who who's uh, delighted about this because you're in South Korea, listen to us. Hey, hello, nice to see you. And uh, <laughs> let us know. Otherwise, it's just a, a, a quick hit that I wanted to tie into the theme of the the next one. You guys have any All questions, right. comments, concerns, feedback about this one?
2: Nope. Nope. Congratulations,
1: South Korea. Next one here is the, uh, I, I, I tried to to make a joke about it being later and I couldn't stick the landing. So I'll just read the press release title from Apple that Apple introduces Apple Pay Later to allow consumers to pay for purchases over time. So this is uh, just in time for WWDC. So it's like months and months after they announced it. But uh, hey, people can hypothetically do this. I've not seen an invitation myself, nor have I Go to a retailer that seems to have it. But you should hypothetically be able to use the buy now, pay later model in Apple Pay's um, wallets.
2: I thought this, this was a four time, ty- four payments, right? Like four equal payments. But I thought this was related to Apple products and Apple store purchases, right?
1: Not necessarily. So they show, um, so apparently this is uh, in the US. I don't know if this article talks about other countries. Available with iOS 16.4, iPadOS 16.4, available in the U.S. Apologies to the Canadian fans. I know this burns you. But the image that they show here shows uh, an Apple Store payment coming up, a Nike payment coming up, a Target payment coming up. So kind of the probably usual suspects you would see with Apple Pay-related stuff. And you're right. It is uh, four purchases split over six weeks. Uh, no interest, yeah, no it's, fees. It's very much like a firm and other companies like that. Mm-hmm. Klarna, Afterpay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. you know, it's yet under the tool. Uh, it is, of course, with all sorts of credit-based systems. Uh, you know, you got to be careful. Don't get too much in debt. I think one of the nice things about having Apple put this in Wallet is that that should make it easier to track how many different, you know, miniature payments that you have spread. Like if you're spread across Klarna and Afterpay and Affirm and whatever it is that your local retailer is using, you don't really have a good way to pull all of that data together. But at least if you do it through Apple Pay later, you can see it all in the wallet and be like, oh my gosh, I have spent way too much and I need to slow down. So that is a consideration. Also, the consideration of um, if you have an Apple Card uh, odds are pretty good that you you probably will want to just use the credit card to begin with. But not everybody is uh, able to get uh, the card. Not everybody has a credit card. And I believe this will allow you to build credit history, right? Aren't they reporting, did they say here? Maybe I read somewhere else that it'll will end up reporting to the um, the credit agency. So, you know, for financial inclusion as a topic, this if used mm-hmm. carefully, uh, you know, like, just like fire, Un- uncontrolled fire is dangerous, but you know, uh, nicely controlled fire is, is a good way to toast some marshmallows in a- around a camp. Um, be careful with this stuff. Don't, don't go wild, but it is kind of cool to see that this has finally come to fruition.
2: So does it say in this, in the article that this is us only right now? Cause I think I believe Apple it card... is
1: us only right now. So Right. Hopefully it won't be years and years later like we just talked about Apple Pay for South Korea. I don't know uh sort of what the the plan is here or the sort of regulatory issues that would occur. So ask your regulator in your country. Demand Apple Pay later from them. <laughs> we <laughs> do <laughs> have we do have
2: sorry, we do have a, a firm here because uh, we had um Paybright was what I, like when I bought my I think my phone, I use PayBright to pay for it. And uh, it's recently been acquired or merged into a firm, which is the company Mark mentioned a minute ago. But that's like mm-hmm. not just four payments, that's many payments.
1: Cool. So this next one is uh, a little blog post from Cable Sasser entitled Apple Passwords Deserve an App. And he covers in a handful of uh, of random tweets about you know what? Apple, somebody said Apple should build a 2FA authenticator into iOS. And he says, they already have. And somebody else said, oh, uh, you know, it'd be nice to have Apple promote these features more. And like, yep, they definitely should. And somebody else saying Apple is like the final step away from building a password manager. Uh, And they, they, they don't. And I think Cable Sasser here covers it pretty well that there's a lot of cool, interesting password manager-ish functionality within iOS. That if they didn't, you know, leave themselves sort of shackled by the fact of like you don't have an app on Apple platforms, um, they could do some nicer things to help people manage this stuff and and probably surface it and find it a whole lot easier than being buried. Uh, and does point out that ironically, uh, there is. A password manager app but it's on windows because of course they can't build into the operating system itself there right so no choice but to do that um, but i i think this is a, a great idea like there's you know i think room for stuff like one password i think there's room for an apple provided option um, I, I think i myself would like to see this happen as well because i'm actually not sure if i have any passwords saved in in iCloud keychain that maybe i might migrate to one password or say nope just go ahead and leave it over here with a hypothetical apple passwords app
3: oh good yeah i I was gonna say i like the idea of this too Uh, you know as you guys know or maybe remember uh, i'm i'm one of the people who actually does use iCloud password for pretty much everything iCloud keychain uh and i think it's great i it for me it just works um You know, for me, pretty much all my devices that I use often enough to need something like this are all on the Apple platform. So I don't have the issue of I have an Android phone and and it doesn't work with that. So other people may have that kind of constraint. But for me, you know, it works great. So, yeah, I'd love to see this.
2: We talked about uh, iCloud 2FA because there's a a gentleman who works for Apple, um, Ricky, actually, so I'm on LinkedIn earlier today. Um, I think we talked about his his art his tweet that because uh, you know you uh, like I think when Twitter turned on the the required two FA a couple of months ago um, I just I thought well let's give the the, the new iCloud one a, a try and uh, so I've got a few things that I've stored there but I did I did actually reply to Cable Sasser about this next story because it's kind of related and I don't know if you guys have heard this it's kind of a I don't know it's it's kind of an edge casey kind of exploit but there are there have been reports of uh, people having their phone stolen from them and but it's done by a team of people where one person watches the the either through video or like you know through like a camera feed or whatever or over the-shoulder kind of thing watches somebody enter their pin code in and then manages to steal their phone and they're able to change their iCloud password with the pin code alone like I don't know if you mm-hmm. notice when you if you mm-hmm. go in to change your iCloud account Uh, credential um it'll ask you for the pin code from the phone because the phone is trust is a trusted device right um so that said once so i have like i said i have a few non-critical passwords that i that i left in the two in the two fa and i've left in iCloud but you know until this sort of gets sorted out or or at least addressed um, i've moved all of my banking and and financial passwords out of iCloud and i'm relying on one password have you guys heard about that or at all
1: I have, and people who've covered the topic, it's it's like a really hard engineering problem to keep people from, uh, you know, completely locking themselves out out of data, just like we talked about with the Apple data advanced data protection. Um, so with that said, there are I think some things that would be a little nicer, where it's like, look, this is like a high risk activity. Uh, maybe you should have to require the password for this versus like. yeah, this is fine, just go ahead and, and put in the pin. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of different scenarios that have to be thought about. I think I agree with some commentators that Apple hasn't gone far enough in sort of rebalancing the the security over the sort of convenience and support yeah. factor. But it's, it's not as if they're being negligent. I just think I agree with some folks that they, they chose just a little bit too far on the... Convenience and uh, customer support angle, and maybe you should go a little deeper into the security. Not not a whole lot. I'm not saying they need to go whole hog and and cause people to to lose pictures of their grandparents or their kid or something like. Just more like eh, maybe you you should have to know more than the pin to to do some of the more nasty uh, things that you can do with iCloud.
2: Yeah, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again: that the enemy of security is convenience, and the enemy of convenience is security. Yeah, I agree. Like that—that's the thing—is like for me, I'd feel a bit better. Like I, I don't mind. Like every time I—I I mean, it's kind of annoying, but every time I log into like my developer account—not every time, but frequently when I log into my developer account or I want to make a change on some Apple service, um, you know—you get that prompt on your devices for the for the security uh, verification code, right? I'd feel a bit a bit better if they stepped it up with that, you know. Um, although technically, I suppose it's kind of a there's kind of a loophole there because. If you're trying to change the password on the phone, that's also the trusted device. It's going to get the prompt anyway, right? So yeah, it's kind of it, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. I think you know, just this whole security stuff is tricky. But I do know that um, one password um, is compatible with iCloud password. I know that they're, they've they've mentioned they're you know not like they see it as a competitor in that sense. You know, it is a lot convenient. I've I've used it quite a bit. In fact, <laughs> I think. One of one of my pet peeves about about logging into websites and stuff like that is is that when uh, if I have a password stored in one password, it under you know how they have that little drop down that appears below the field to shoot, so you can select the one password, uh, pass uh, credential if you're on the site, but at the same time I also get the Safari one over top of it, so I've got these two competing drop down um menus to that and I kind of I want to use the one that's behind, which is the one password, but I can't see it because it's obscured by the Safari one, right? So anyway, but it's kind of a uh, annoying. But yeah, I'm just I'm just at this point a little bit nervous about the, the iCloud one, but uh, even though ninety-nine percent of the time I'm using face ID or touch ID or something to open these devices, right?
3: And someone can always get your one password password and then you're really out of luck.
2: True. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's hard to but as I'm saying, like, I think, I think this,
3: I think, I think people just need to stop doing bad things, malicious things, and then all these problems go away. We wouldn't need passwords at all.
2: <laughs> that was the case, right? <laughs> if only. Yeah. No, 100% agree. That's you're, you're right. And I, and I do worry about that too, because, you know, um, I, you know, one password having one way of getting in, but actually that, that's, that's one thing, one thing that one password has done too, that I think is, is good is, um, now if if i go to the device and i and my one password isn't recognized it'll ask me if i now use authy as my second um, verification way to get into one password so it doesn't happen every time but occasionally when when there's been enough time or you know i'm on a device that that isn't quite recognized by one password or the cookie or session id or whatever isn't set It'll ask me for an authy password, and that happens on my Apple TVs and my phones, my my iPads, you know, Carol's devices as well, right? So I feel a bit better now that I've got a a second, you know, second um, authentication. I mean, I, basically two two FA all the things is is kind of my approach to everything, right?
1: Yeah, and and for completeness, because people are going to ask, cable Sasser does point out that uh, in the future we may be using passkeys for everything, but it will take a long time to get there. So. I think there's, there's room to have nicer options to make this sort of stuff a little easier. Like, you know, you brought up the, the sort of TV devices stuff. Nothing drives me more bananas than having to type out a long password using mm-hmm. my TV remote. I'm like, at least use the OAuth thing where i can go to a, a little website enter a code or even better uh let me scan a qr code to get me there so i don't have to type in the url and even better some things will connect to your mobile device and say well as long as you have like a phone or ipad on the same network you can authenticate through that app like there's multiple layers of of niceness here i just want uh, I just want basics because look my password isn't one, two, three, four, five. It's this incredibly long, very challenging thing to enter that drives me bananas.
3: I was going to say, if you've ever had to use the uh, Safari generated passwords, or, they, or I don't know if it's Safari, but oh, yeah. the, the keychain generated passwords, they're great. They're like something like 30 characters long with a bunch of dashes. But man, if you ever have to type one of those in somewhere where you where you don't have access to your keychain, what a mess.
2: But you know what I do is I, I, whenever I make those and accept those passwords, I generally don't. I generally let one, I want one password to use, make the password. But Mm -hmm. what I'll do is I'll copy those, those, um, passwords that Safari generates into my, into one password. And that that way, and I also have like a, a a way of recognizing if I'm using sign in with Apple and I still store the credential in one password because my default is to go to one password first, right? But what I was going to say to Jaime about the remote thing is you do, do you know about the, uh, the, you do use their Apple remote app on your phone, right? Like, because you can copy and paste your passwords in there instead of keying them in.
1: Yeah, so this is a an area, so I don't have a, an Apple TV, but when you you have a Roku and a... Uh, oh, yeah. What's the device called? Uh Google TV Chrome with TV? Chromecast or Chromecast with Google TV. It's got a weird, awkward name. Like there's, there's a kind of a, a split, right? It's a heterogeneous environment. So it becomes a lot less convenient. You're right. You're absolutely right. Where possible. I try to look to see, do I have an app that will let me connect to this channel and let me do this without hurting myself too badly. And there have been times where I said, nope, I can't find anything. I think I have to put in this absurdly challenging password, uh, character by character onto the screen
2: okay. yeah there's a lot of apps and a lot of sites that now are using like they'll have an app like i think youtube if you try to log in on apple tv your youtube on your apple tv it'll ask you to open the youtube on your phone to verify this is who you're that you're actually trying to log in right
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: and uh, adobe does the same thing they have an app that you know whenever you log into an adobe app it'll it'll ask you to go to your adobe identifier on your phone and punch in the code that appears right
3: Say you know none of this helps if you're if you're still uh, writing your passwords on sticky notes on the on the front of your computer. <laughs> you still have to always tuck those in.
2: Yeah, that's true. Well, no, now you can use the uh, the camera to you know grab the text and from the
1: sticky note, right? Yeah, you know, uh, not exactly that because that's that's actually pretty brilliant. But I have uh, watched videos and said, "Ooh, there's a." there's a URL in the browser that I might want to get to that I don't want to have to type out by myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me just take a screenshot and, oh, look, Apple's OCR is really good in previews. It's actually a clickable link that I can just click and get to. That's saved me uh, uh, minutes upon minutes of having to (laughs) awkwardly type in these long convoluted (coughs) URLs that people might be
2: sharing yeah so you know here's here's a here's a weird sort of edge case bug that i discovered the other day and it's not worth repro- i mean complaining to apple about so i use hide my email a lot right and uh so i have this one site it's a guitar site where there's uh like it, i created a, a you know hide my email email and it's got a hyphen in the email address right and it's like you know such and such hyphen such and such and then it's at privaterelay.apple.com and I wanted to enter a contest to win a guitar or something like that, right? And and but I couldn't because I couldn't send an email from the list from the email that I had used to subscribe to their mailing list, which that was one of the requirements, right? Yeah. So I had to so in order to use that as a sending address, I had to go to iCloud, log into iCloud, and then create an alias for that email address. But it's got a hyphen in it, and iCloud won't accept the hyphen. So this is hide my email address that Apple created, and they won't accept it in iCloud. Which I just I just find completely ironic. So no hyphens, folks. They're bad. Of course, said the guy with the hyphen in his domain
1: name. Right there, you go. It dash guy. It dash guy. Yep. It dash. So um, I should have messed it up even more. I didn't go far enough. I didn't go convoluted enough to do it dash guy. I assume it's French. True. That's that, true. Yeah. That's
3: only if it goes to Quebec.
1: Yeah, makes <laughs> exactly. it, it guy. Yeah,
2: yeah. But I have all the domains. Yeah. Oh, Ricky Mandela, that's the Apple guy. Couldn't remember uh, ah. mm-hmm. who who works on the um, iCloud. I think he works on the iCloud team because he talks about the iCloud two uh, FA. Anyway, um, so yeah, we're here to talk about uh, the WWC, uh lottery. First of all, let's let's uh, just recap for the folks at home. Um, I entered the lottery a couple of times and I got my nice rejection letter earlier today.
1: I mean, you said you didn't enter, right? I did not. And we were talking just before the show that I completely whiffed on, uh, even noticing and I should have gotten two emails and I probably did and just assumed there was something else and ignored them because I should have gotten one to my, uh, my work email and one to my, uh, my personal email for the, the two different Apple accounts that I have. So, uh, when I started seeing people posting online about, uh, you know, high expectations, anticipation, and sometimes tears, either of joy or of sorrow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, that was today, wasn't it? Yeah, I had the sad Keanu reaction
2: myself. Um, but Mark, you got in, right?
1: I did. Yeah, I entered twice and got in
2: 50% of the time. Oh, nice. got in once. <laughs> 50% of the time, it 100% works? Yeah. Um, so, and I guess, you know, obviously you're going to go, right? Sure, just just just, me, right? Yeah, just one day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you know what activities they have planned around? Like last year, they were introducing the, the developer center. Have you gone to oh, the site I, to see what... I have no idea.
3: I, I looked on the site. It didn't really say anything yet. Hmm. When I checked, at least, I guess I can check again.
2: Cool. And I guess it's going to be less COVID, you know, panicky related kind of thing, right? So
3: Yeah, around like, here, you know, for better or worse, whether it's true or not, you know, COVID is kind of over. Um, over? Yeah. As I mean... I, I i was putting that in finger quotes as i said that i mean as as far as yeah in this area around here i mean it's pretty much done i mean pretty much nobody nobody wears a mask anymore um yeah there's it's just it's over so <laughs> i mean i, I i'm saying that, yeah, i realized that the way i said it it probably sounded like i was disappointed i'm i'm not disappointed it's over i'm just a little bit um you know not sure if that's a great thing to have done if we're maybe being a little bit too uh cavalier about it, but that's what it is now,
2: yeah, I mean, there's still are cases going on and but here in here in Toronto, you're right it's it's pretty much i would say probably there's like ten percent of us that wear masks on a regular basis, and yeah, like on the transit I wear it because God knows where those people have been but um but yeah and in, in our office, nobody wears a mask and I'm in a we work building. When I go down do I go to the office so then people don't you know in the elevators don't we when they're not wearing them and they're not wearing them in the coffee shop on the first floor and yeah I think it's pretty you're right it's pretty yeah. i think now that everybody's vaccinated right and boosted and they're not so much worried about it you know yeah
3: uh, although about a month or so ago we had a uh, a work kind of um offsite, you know uh that everyone mm-hmm. traveled to is in southern California and one guy who was in from australia uh came down with COVID during the trip. So I, I I don't know what his vaccination status was, but yeah, it happens.
2: Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I got it in Ireland. I think we talked about it like um, a couple of, a couple of episodes ago when I was in Ireland, like, even though I'm vaccinated and all yeah. that kind of stuff and boosted and I still got it and it was like a cold and. Yeah. You know, yeah. I got
3: uh, it last summer, even though I, I'd had, yeah, you know, multiple boosters and all that. Um, so,
2: yeah. Plus, I I have some family members who are like I mean compromised, so they, they uh-huh. have to be super yeah. careful, right? So yeah, so when I'm in, in their company, I tend to wear my mask. But yeah, yeah. But we we are still having um, our our co-host on on the spotcast, Jonathan. Also works for the Canadian Health Information Network here in in Canada for the government, and uh, yeah, he, he's um, quite aware that uh, there are still cases and the, the recommendations from their scientists there are still wear a mask but Mm. your mileage may vary
3: yep i went to a concert last weekend and it was one of these Mm -hmm. general admission packed to the to the gills Mm. kind of places and i you know i sort of realized as i'm standing in there like oh if you know if somebody in here has it we've all got it now
2: (laughs) yeah yeah well in those situations i'll throw on a mask i always keep one in my pocket yeah yeah yeah, I don't think I. Oh, actually, when I went to the auto show in Toronto, the Canadian auto show, a couple of, last month ago, last month. Um, yeah, I mean there was there was a, like around some of the, the the events. We went early in the day. It was kind of wasn't too busy, but 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 after lunch it was just packed with people. And yeah, so the masks came back on, you know, kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. again, you don't know where those people have been. It's true, but. Uh, <laughs> So let's talk about, so Jaime's got here, I think, uh, WWC dreams. So, I mean, uh, the one story that, that I'm hearing about, and you've probably heard, heard about is some sort of AR device. Um, and there was a, so, I mean, so the question is like, you know, and, and I, I harks back to when I heard that Apple was going to come out with a phone and I'm, I couldn't, couldn't imagine what a phone would mean to me, you know, um, at the time, but, and I don't know what, what an AR device would mean to me. What do, what do you guys think? What do you think is going to be the, the devices or, or frameworks or things that we're going to see? What are you hoping to see at, at WWC? And uh, if there is an AR device, what do you think it's going to be the main thing? Because I mean, and there was a story that Apple did um, introduce to the senior managers, the device a few weeks ago, right?
3: So yeah, they've been talking about this for a couple of years now. So if they don't do it now, it's, I think Apple's probably never going to do it. It's like the Apple car, right? right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that is that. Ever gonna go power. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: No, but the, the question is, is it, is it an AR device or a VR device? Is it like a, is it like yeah. an Oculus kind of thing? VR? Or is it like a Google glass kind of thing? Like AR? I don't know. I, I, I think, I mean, I, Google glass kind of failed spectacularly. Um, so it's, 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 well, it's possible that Apple could figure out a better way to do it,
2: but, I don't know what that. Is. Well, did Google did Google Glass fail because it was too early or the execution wasn't a hundred percent? I mean, it was. If you think about it, like if if it like it, it was sort of doing what I think the promise of it was to do what the watch is doing now, which is give us notifications so you don't have to take your phone out of your pocket as often, right? As you but would, right,
3: but people didn't like the fact that other people were wearing it, walking around, you know, potentially filming them or doing whatever, and and there's basically nothing you can do about it. So it's kind of a security privacy
1: kind of concern. Right. Yeah. Right. The surreptitious recording of folks was... like I feel like the Glass stuff was um, more of a expectations and and public relations disaster than anything else. I think the technology was pretty interesting, but it didn't go beyond developer tech demo, right? It wasn't like a legit product to put out there. And I don't think they ever presented it as that either. I think they presented it as like these this fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars, whatever it cost was like this is a developer unit to go try it out, right? You're you're part of an open beta. And its sort of spiritual successor in Microsoft's HoloLens has found a different niche of like, this is meant for productivity. Right. This is a, a, a professional thing you use for business and and possibly even uh, military operations. So if you're Going along the same lines of like the HTC Vive or uh, Facebook Meta Oculus Rift Quest stuff, uh, VR as the sort of other end of the spectrum, uh, mostly you know a little bit of around you know experiences of like oh this this school uh, in in Idaho can visit the Roman Colosseum sort of stuff. Ignoring that, it's predominantly gaming or game like media experiences. So I don't, to Mark's point, I don't know where this is going to fall. There's all sorts of rumors of like a headset that does something uh i'm not sure what do we want to cover the 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 different possibilities of what it what it could be uh an ar device a vr device uh maybe a mixed device and and go through that is that we want to do for the dreams
2: yeah i don't know i mean like to me well i mean let's talk about it for a minute like the the i've seen a few people like we have i was at a family member's house and uh they had to push all the furniture in the living room aside while they put, well, like the kid was playing this game. Um, I think that's a little too, uh, insular for something that, that, um, makes practical sense in that sense. I mean, Apple is not, I don't think Apple wants to compete in the, in the, you know, the PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, you know, kind of world where you've got, you know, where you're immersed in that kind of thing. But I could see it as a navigation aid, or like you said, like a touring aid, um, Maybe we can all go attend the WWDC keynote by putting on a visor of some type. But I also see a more practical application for it in that, you know, you would wear it kind of like a pair of sunglasses that would augment what you're seeing in front of you. Like it could prevent, present information to you, like if you're counting stock in a warehouse or you're trying to navigate it to a, a restaurant, you know, just you turn left at the next intersection kind of thing. Obviously not for driving, I mean for walking, right? but um oh, who knows maybe but it has or sort of a heads a heads up display kind of thing and that's kind of where I see it going but again i don't know that that like the home pod when it first came out i was not the audience for the home pod when it first came out you know it just didn't make sense for me i have 3 of them now or 35 of them now but you know um i don't know i i i i, I I don't know. I I'm having a hard time other than you know my previous experience with AR and VR um trying to imagine what could what could Apple's implementation would be, right? What do you think, Mark? I
3: don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I I'm not sure I'm the uh the target demographic
2: for this thing either. So, I don't know. Um but why would Apple spend all this money on something they must have they must have well, an audience for it if they're So they're clearly clear
3: on, right? clearly they've they're very vested or invested rather in in AR in general, right? AR has been around for a couple of years now, and they've you know put a huge amount of effort and resources into that. I remember WWC a couple of years ago; it was like half the talks were about AR AR Kit. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of hard to believe that they would have invested all of that time and money and resources into just something that's kind of cool on your phone. It seems like you, you you'd think they'd have something bigger in mind. For that much of an investment, because it was—I mean—it was really the the amount of of of, uh, of coverage and press that that Apple has has given to this uh, AR kit in general just goes way beyond what it's warranted. Even though there's some really cool stuff in AR kit, but the amount of effort Apple's put in just goes way beyond just you know being able to you know put an IKEA couch in your house, right? Uh so there's so clearly they had in mind some bigger thing. Whether that whether it is actually coming to fruition or not, who knows. But but uh for that reason I'm gonna say, okay, I think it's gonna be an AR device, even though I'm I'm not really sure, but I'm just that's just a guess. So otherwise why would they put all the resources into it?
1: I, I have a hard time figuring out the the difference between what I want versus what I think will happen, right? Because what I what I would love for it to be. Is for it to be um, like Tony Stark's Iron Man helmet, right? And then we'll <laughs> just walk around town and not get lost because maps shows there me everywhere.
2: People, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, integrated uh, with with smarter assistance So it's got Jarvis installed. You know, that's 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 the dream. The what I think is actually going to happen is they probably have something pretty cool, but I I have my doubts as to whether they have a solid Narrative for how this is going to work, and I go off of the experience with the, to a lesser extent, the Home Pod, but to a, a greater extent, the Apple Watch, where the they put the watch out there, and the the first version it was nice but kind of rough around the edges. They kind of really didn't know what the watch was supposed to do. It was closer to 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 fun tech demo than real product. But over time, they found their footing and said, oh it's a health and fitness thing predominantly. Yes, it does other things, but this is sort of the main thing that it does. Uh, Not, not fashion, um, not other stuff. Yes. Payments, but, but really, you know, you're, you're tracking your health in some way. You're, you're doing other things like that's a really good model. I kind of feel like the signs are pointing towards whatever this headset is. It will have, you know, rough edges and some interesting opportunities, but there will probably be a, a dozen articles on day one of like, what is this for? And I may not even be able to answer that myself, right? Like I, I kind of hope it could do something like, um, be an enhanced way to do, um, you know, FaceTime, like FaceTime is great you can be able to see people's faces, but I want Star Trek or Star Wars style holograms, right? I want to be able to see that person as if they were really here with me um certainly you know, the covid lockdowns made that more so but uh you know even if you're away for a little bit it's kind of nice to to feel like you're there with a person uh, that might make collaboration interesting as well uh you know ar or virtual ar zoom calls yeah ar <laughs> uh, collaborations I'm like i wouldn't sit there and just do it all day of like oh look i'm sitting in an office it's like nope i don't want to replicate that environment <laughs> right but i do want to be able to replicate hey uh, we're standing at the whiteboard, let's let's talk this out, right? Like there's some cool stuff there. So uh, gaming, we didn't even really touch about that uh, on the topic, but uh, gaming could also be cool or experiences like AR, VR experiences could also be cool. So this, this product, whatever it is, um, I, I really hope they can package it up really nicely and present in a fairly... Uh, you know for dummies like me sort of way of like what is this for predominantly even though it can do other things um, otherwise i think you're gonna you know you're gonna see it uh flounder for a couple of years and then people are like oh my gosh it does x really well and this is the killer thing that everybody gets for just like nowadays if you go out onto the streets pretty good chance you're going to see several uh, apple watches without you even having to try to look at uh look for them right like they're they're just out there. It just became a normal part of people's life. Uh, uh, a quiet hit uh, or bestseller that everybody thought was a failure. And uh, was kind of a, a cult classic, if anything.
2: I, I want the virtual presence thing. I want to be able to go to WWC or attend the Oscars and sit in the audience or, or go see a concert and just sit in, sit in the audience and, you know, take it in kind of thing. Right. So that, that would be kind of a cool application as well. Right. Or like you said, like go to the, Colosseum in rome but without having
1: you know the jet lag right yeah yeah I, I i don't i i feel like whatever it is will probably be a price that we're all going to talk about for a long time yeah. <laughs> no gar- yeah. regard. like there's no way they could just nail the price right if it is too high we'll be talking about how it's too high if it's cheaper than we thought we'll be like how did they get it so cheap um there's there's you know There's bits to be spilled over that. But um, I do think that, you know, whatever it is, I'm probably going to end up buying one just to see what it's all about. (laughs) I'm being quite honest, sight unseen. I'm like, unless it's like $10,000 or something stupid, you know, like I probably will end up finding a way of like, oh, you know, with Apple Pay later, it's only five, four payments of 500 (laughs) bucks. (laughs) That seems cheaper. (laughs)
2: Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's let's move on to like so. So two years ago, we got async await, right? Last year, we got the navigation stack uh, rewrite for SwiftUI. I was talking to Daniel Stan, uh, Steinberg yesterday. We don't have gestures yet in SwiftUI, apparently. Um, what uh, core data like a better integration core data, maybe a more Swifty kind of core data. Although I think the the latest information implementation of core data with SwiftUI is pretty cool um what do you what do you think is going to happen in terms of the software we're going to get or i mean we you know we can talk about mark's thing about the phone in a minute but what do you think is going to happen in the world of the world that we work in for real which is developers what what's missing in in the frameworks that we have or don't have yet and what, what do you think we're going to get
3: it, it's certainly what's not going to be more core data tim hate to break it too <laughs>
2: <laughs> no i didn't think so but anyway yeah what do you think about like like well, async await was uh, it's kind of has it done in Combine? Is Combine still a thing, or is, or is it under the hood, or what do you think's going to happen in terms of what well, they're doing? Actually,
1: async
3: await doesn't directly compete with Combine in my mind, but async sequence does. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know Combine was the Rx Swift competitor, and and async sequence does the same thing. So it's a declarative way of doing. uh, doing um uh asynchronous uh programming async await just replaces closures in my mind
2: oh, okay but, but anyway, ta- or yeah. threads and tasks and stuff like that
3: no 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 it doesn't it doesn't really it doesn't really replace that stuff um although they they often work hand in hand right you when you call a closure you can dispatch when you dispatch to a different queue you use a closure as the syntax to 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 dispatch but but they're not the same thing. They're kind of two things that kind of often work well together, but don't necessarily have to work together. Uh, But anyway, we're going, that's, that's last year or two years ago. That's not the new stuff. I don't know. I was trying to think about this a little bit before, before the show. And I've, I've had the same problem last couple of years is I don't.
2: Are you, are you using Swift UI in your work? Not not much. Not
3: much. No, I'm not.
1: How about you, Jaime? Are you using any of that stuff? I'm not. And so, when mark started talking about the ASIC sequence i said i think i know what that is let me go take a look at the docs and said oh it solves fizzbuzz (laughs) there you go kids (laughs) every year we talk about which which uh programming interview um i mean they literally have a like example that i don't know why they didn't make it fizzbuzz (laughs) they should have (laughs) because it's a counter like how high is this counter to 10 for this stream and then you know modulo 2 you know, even or odd. I'm like, what? <laughs> you were so close to doing Fizbuzz, why don't you just do it? It's there. Um I I, I haven't. I, I've been sort of tangentially aware of a lot of these things. So my uh, my experience and thoughts will have to be taken with a grain of salt. I think a different level is what I'm looking for. And for me, what I'm looking for is I'm hoping that all of these multi year sort of transitions of, you know, making um making things Swifty, uh, you know, doing things like Swift UI, doing things um, like async await. I'm hoping there's that next step that we say, oh, what can you do that doesn't make you miss AppKit and UIKit? What can you do that doesn't make you miss core data? That doesn't make you miss Objective-C? Like, it, it's not going to be a, a total clean sheet sort of thing, right? Obviously, whatever the next thing is here it's going to be swift based in some way but we get a little bit closer or actually not a little bit i'm hoping for a big jump closer to a um you know post objective c world i don't think we're fully there yet Um, it's not completely reasonable to get away from all of that but i'd like to see that not to have it be a a discredit to what all of that really cool stuff did in the past. Just I'm hoping that like you mentioned around gestures and all these other things, I'm hoping that there will be the, Oh, if you adopt these new, um, these new SDKs, this is what you will get. Sure. If you have a you know decade old app, you're going to have to piecemeal these. But if you're starting from scratch today, here's all of this cool stuff you can get just like we have the hot reload, just like we have the previews, just like we have, you know, choose all these wonderful things that we have nowadays: Dexcode and Swift and Swift UI. Like I hope the next thing is, oh, and and here's how this is that much easier to do, right? Or expand the level of uh, the breadth of what was capable before you had to, you know, hit the the escape patch and say, oh, got to drop over into App Kit, go to the drop over to UI Kit.
2: Do you think we'll get like new hardware? Like, do you think we'll get a Mac Pro? Do we do we need a Mac Pro? Yeah, the Mac
3: Pro is due, right? It's the only hardware, the only Mac hardware that's not on Apple Silicon yet. So we're definitely due for that. Uh, of course, the last time they refreshed the Mac Pro, it, it was, what, four years, five years too late, or not too late, but later than I expected. Uh, mm-hmm. So who knows what they're going to do this time. Uh, given that uh, Mac sales are apparently way down right now, um, I wonder. I wonder what the, I wonder what the uh, motivation for Apple to bring out a Mac Pro is at the moment. But you know, maybe it goes the other way, it's maybe maybe it would boost sales. I don't know.
2: Well, how about on the iPad? We had the the whole iPad OSification. Um, yep. You know, they introduced that freeform app. Um, they stage, manage, I don't stage know, I think manager. Stage manager. Using stage manager. Yeah, I'm not sure stage people actually use it. It
3: l- looked great, but yeah, I don't know. Do they use it? I don't know. I mean um, I tried it actually, on my
2: Macs, and I yeah, I didn't like it that much.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure I have hardware that can support it though. I don't have a I don't have an M1 iPad yet.
2: Yeah, I bought one just to try it cause I upgraded my my uh 11-inch Pro to an M1 to try it out and was disappointed in the beta. Mm. And uh I've tried it on Ventura but I just it just don't I can't get into it. It just doesn't it doesn't do the multi-window metaphor for me the way it sort of seemed to promise it would do right
3: yeah. I, yeah I can't imagine why you'd use it on the Mac to be honest but on on the iPad mm-hmm. what seemed really great was that you could you could have arbitrarily sized and positioned windows which you know all this multitasking on the on the iPad was always kind of cool but it was so limited where you could only like split the screen down the middle uh, and and yeah you could have these floating things so you could technically have three windows open at the time but but in the stage manager last year, and like I said, I've never actually tried it. After getting really excited about it, uh, that was that was supposed to enable just arbitrary windows on the iPad. Does it do that? I
2: don't. I don't even know. Well, and the other thing, uh, the, the large format iMac doesn't hasn't seemed to come back yet. Although uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who wants the twenty seven inch iMac experience back again. Um, I mean, you could you could buy a mini and you could buy one of the new, new displays that they've got, the new, yeah. um, that they came out last year and, and basically make your own iMac, right? Yep. For all that's worth, right? Yeah.
3: That's, that is true that, uh, that there hasn't been a new iMac in a while.
2: Well, no, they had, they've, they've upgraded. They came up with the, the colored Macs two years ago, a, a year ago, because now they're M2s, right? Um, the new thin, like thin panel iMacs. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But they're not. They're they're twenty inch. They're not you know not the bigger size displays, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at work we have a couple of those thirty five inch Dells, you know the curved ones, mm-hmm. which are kind of really weird, especially when you got Xcode going with like gazillion windows on it. But uh, I've never actually sat in front of them, one of them. But um, yeah, no, I do. I like at, at the office. I, I mean, here at home I've got multiple screens going, and and when I'm at the office, I always want to sit at a desk that has got an extra big monitor, but so I can have you know the Zoom call on one and the Confluence page on another or Xcode or whatever as well. Right.
1: Yeah. I think for folks who are wondering like, well, what else could they do? Like I should be able to fold up an iMac and put it in my back pocket and then go to the <laughs> library and have that same large screen env- uh, you know, environment available to me. The fact that we haven't gotten quite there yet for that means there is room to improve. Well, remember there was, we were going to
3: have uh these workstations that were, they were sort of dumb workstations and you just walk around and plug your phone in or not even plug it, it'd just be wireless. And you just yeah. have, you'd have your computer right there. That's sort of like this, this goes back a few years. I don't know if any of you guys, Tim, you might remember this. I don't know if you would remember me, uh, but at one time the future of computing was going to be, you would like walk around the office with a little, with a card and mm-hmm. you would just sit down at any desk and you'd plug the card in. And then all of a sudden the computer that was in front of you would have your workspace on it.
1: Yeah. And, it sounds, Oh, sorry. Uh, it, it sounds similar to, uh, or it may actually be the sun microsystems. The network yeah, is the computer right. era. Yeah, I, yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They kind of had that with, with the X serve yeah. as well when, cause there was a way of doing that net, network install where you could have, and they do that in schools where, uh, with iPads and stuff like that, where you just, you just, log in with your id onto the ipad and it downloads you know your data to the device and and it's kind of saved on the server even though it, it looks like it's on the mac in front of you yeah um, and we kind of sort of have that with you know with chromebooks now you yeah, kinda, chromebooks can Yeah, chromebooks yeah yeah you just walk yeah. around and you plug your computer in and you know like at where i worked at the bank we had every desk had the same monitor on it. it didn't matter where you sat technically you could you know you'd have the same experience and like i said at at the office that i work at now you know there's always a dell or a dell or an lg monitor that with a USB-C cable on it i don't have to don't even have to bring my charger out of my bag just plug my my mac in and away i go right yeah yeah i mean in terms of hardware it's always hard to predict what apple's going to count with but other than you know we well there was a rumor of a 16 inch ipad did you guys hear that one but i don't know if it's coming for WWDC
1: time frame no i didn't hear about that I hadn't seen that one.
3: I mean, that raises another point, though. It's and and we've talked about this before, and it's still headed in this direction. Is that do most people anymore need a computer? And right. and the answer is is no, right? You can do most things that most people want to do on a tablet or even a phone.
2: Mm-hmm. So X code.
3: Well, that's why I say most people. It's <laughs> the only the only people. Who, oh yeah, yeah. The only people yeah. who know who need a computer now really are our developers
2: and video producers and yeah yeah, yeah maybe, yeah, de- sure, maybe yeah. designers but even designers right. could use a large ipad right
3: right right oh yeah designer could definitely use uh, a a uh, just a just a big monitor and some small device that connects to it without a doubt yeah they don't even need a keyboard half the
2: time well we we now we have had we've had photoshop on the ipad for years we now have adobe illustrator on on there we've got figma on there we've got i think there's a sketch version on there. So yeah, you really don't need anything beyond, uh, like, and, and then again, if you have an, on iPad, you got your keyboard, if you want it, you've got a pencil if you want it, you know?
3: Yeah. I'm not sure how good the, how good the, uh, the second monitor support is for a giant monitor from the iPad. I mean, I know you can do I've it. I've actually tried it. It's actually it? pretty
2: good. Is it? Okay. It's actually pre- yeah, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. cause I've got the USB-C, uh, uh, plug on the side of my iPad. Right. But the, um, and the other thing that's surprisingly good is, and seamless is the uh, universal control where you, you know, I accidentally hit my, swipe my cursor off my Mac screen all the time. And next thing I know I'm on my iPad. And then of course I can use the trackpad and the, and the keyboard on the iPad to drive my Mac. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of best of both worlds. The only thing that's missing is I think is if I want to use the pencil. Yeah. I, I was just that. thinking
3: that, can you, you are not quite at the point yet where you can write on the, on the iPad with your pencil and it just, Instantaneously, automatically shows up in a document on your on your. Uh,
2: well, you can if you use that computer. Astro. You know that Astro um, app that they had there a while ago, where you you basically makes your. It's like a you put a USB device, a plug into your, into your Mac, and then it lets your iPad become like it mirrors the screen that you're on. So you if you open Photoshop on your Mac and you look and basically the the iPad becomes a window to your Mac. You can use your pencil and navigate and do things in Photoshop. With the pencil on the, but you're, you're touching the, you're using the, the iPad. Yeah, like you're a, using a the tablet. iPad just as an,
3: as an input device. Like a Wacom,
2: if you will. Yeah, yeah. 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 Apple hasn't quite got, maybe, maybe we'll get that this year. Right. So maybe,
3: maybe we'll maybe get the, the combined co- Mac OS, iOS, uh, thing that, or that, that I was predicting years ago, right. A combined OS, iPad OS and Mac OS combined.
2: You know, it, well, it's funny, that, like the one, I think the one thing about, it, I mean, I get the, I get the, I like the idea that they're sort of focusing on iPad and, and calling it an iPad OS and, and kind of having it be different. But I think that you know, iOS as, as a structure in terms of how it works with, with the way file management works and sandboxing, all that kind of stuff, it it's hard to, it's a different kind of metaphor than using a Mac. But yeah, yeah. Because, you're right, there's a lot of things I can do. Like I've gotten used, I, the last year I've totally gotten into using the file system. You know the Files app that's in there, and and iCloud Drive and stuff like that, right from the Mac, or so I, so I can basically put something on my Mac or put something on my iPad, just save it to the drive, and and off I go. So best of both worlds. Even though the iPad is still built on iOS, it's still a, it's a different metaphor in terms of file management, but but it it's it's workable. Right? Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll get some more utility out of out of what I'm doing. Air quotes iPad OS, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it would be nice to have. Sort of, I mean, we we sort of do have a bit of development tools in terms of um, the Swift Playground app on the iPad. You can actually you can actually write code and you can do you know um, uh, canvas previews and stuff like that as well. That's kind of cool. But
3: is that really useful? I mean, as an educational thing, sure for for people yeah. learning how to code. Yeah, but is it is it really useful? For someone to doing real development work? I don't know. I don't know. Or, or is that a novelty?
2: Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of like it's kind of like um, well, Photoshop on the iPad. Okay, let's let's talk about that for a minute, right? Because I use both Photoshop on the iPad. I use it on my Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want to do something really quick and dirty and and kind of like maybe cloning or cropping or maybe a little illustration, whatever, Photoshop on the iPad does you know th- a great job. But if I really want to sit down and do some serious stuff, I need to use my Mac. Right.
3: No, and, I get and that's, I that. And that totally makes sense. And, and I'm not bashing the iPad by any means. I'm a huge advocate, no, no. Man. I'm just saying, in particular, Playgrounds and coding yeah. on the iPad, I'm not so sold on, other than for educational purposes. And it's a, nice, it's a nice thing, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know if anyone's really using it for real stuff.
2: But, I mean, Playground on the iPad is similar to Playground on the Mac, right? Like, you can use the Playground app to build apps on, without using Xcode yeah. on your Mac how, as well. How often but... do you do that, though? Not often enough. Yeah, not not enough yeah. to make it worthwhile. You could do it. I mean, and you get those sort of—I don't want to call them Mickey Mouse apps, but they're pretty much our Mickey Mouse apps. You yeah. know, the ones that you build. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're not you're not you know you're not getting into core you know the core libraries. You're not getting into you know core image and that kind of stuff. You can, but I mean, you're you're not going to do that. Well, and you, you can't
3: know, do like you would in You can't do dependency management, right? Pat, so, factory manager doesn't work on on uh, playgrounds, right?
2: I don't know. I think
3: it does. I, I, I mean, it, for all I know, it may. Okay, but they, I don't.
2: Well, there is a resources folder. You can put, I think you can yeah. put packages in. Yeah, no, actually, you can totally, 100% you can put packages really? in. But oh, I don't know okay. if you can do okay. like the heavy duty, the heavy lifting ones, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the networking. I don't think, you, I don't believe you can do core data on an iPad yet, right? Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, which would, you know, again, for me, would be nice to be sitting on the subway and <laughs> writing my next great core data app, right? Yeah. So
1: I don't know what else do you think we're going to get from uh, WWC, Jaime. Again, I don't know if if I'm saying this because I want the fantasy to become reality, or if I legitimately <laughs> think this is going to happen. But in the in the more size classes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a ginormous size class that we've joked yeah. about for years to go with that 16-inch yeah. iPad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I I'm hoping because there has been so much um so much discussion and conversation even in the mainstream media around uh machine learning usually in the form of chat gpt or staple diffusion and uh, a few others i am hoping that there are pretty radical improvements this series just because it kind of seems like everybody else is doing similar like i, I don't think anything like uh, the echo amazon echo nor uh Google Assistant have done anything to date but Google has been you know promoting its Bard you've been seeing Microsoft promoting OpenAI's ChatGPT and putting that into uh into Bing and their their Edge browser so seeing something like that to help me do stuff is is nice right like you know, back when Siri came out I think I hope I said at the time you know, way back when that um you know I really look forward to these virtual assistants being as close as possible to having a real human assistant the way you would if you were like mega rich, you know, or, or like, uh, you know, executive at a, at a fortune 500 company where it can proactively do stuff, really complicated stuff for you, which normally you'd have to pay, you know, top dollar to get, but through technology, we can democratize that sort of stuff. So so that's my thing that I would like to see there. It wouldn't be a developer thing per se, unless they do something radical for opening up APIs, but I would like to see Siri get some pretty radical uh, GPT-ish powered improvements.
2: And and people don't really talk about this much, but I I heard that a couple of weeks ago on a a science show that it's generative pre-trained transformer. Um, What does that mean, Mark? Like what does that that basically mean that the data set's already trained into it and... What, I mean essentially, it's yeah, it's not really doing. It's not. It's not. It's not thinking in the same terms that that we think about artificial or the the textbook definition of artificial intelligence. It's actually very smart at figuring out um things that already exist out there, right?
3: Well, yeah. So none of the things that we commonly call artificial intelligence today mm-hmm. are really what you're thinking of in terms of artificial intelligence. They're not conscious right they're not really thinking Uh, and it's not clear whether and and there's arguments on both sides of this but it's not clear that just doing what you're doing today a hundred times better or a thousand times better is ever going to actually be intelligence but then you people some people will argue well you know can you really tell the difference and how do we know that humans aren't really just these like very super powerful machine learning systems uh that are just so powerful that we think that we're thinking and we think that people are actually responding uh to what you're saying by thinking about it rather than just following a set of very complicated, inscrutable rules. But that's what machine learning really is, right? You got a you got a ton of data and you've got this model with with a ton of parameters. Uh and the you you've you build a model so you tweak the set of parameters to fit your training data as best as you can uh with the caveat that by the way you define best is how well it does in analyzing other data than what you use to train it right so so you can you can take a, a bunch of data you can fit it completely perfectly, and it won't be a good model because you've you fit your curves to all the noise in the data, right? So what Mm -hmm. so what you actually want to do is you want to fit a model and then take completely different data and see how well this model predicts what the how it predicts the other data will or what it should give for the other data. Uh, It's easy to think of this in terms of like image classification. Um, But but in terms of language, well, if you just have a huge number of Streams of words that to a computer, you know, they don't have meaning. They just have symbolic relationships to each other, right? One word is one word comes after this other word, you know, 90% of the time and a different word 2% of the time. So if you're trying to generate language, well, if you have the option of using word A or word B, you're going to 90% of the time you want to use word A, 2% of the time you want to use B. And if these things are sophisticated enough, and have access to enough data, then it can be a, an amazingly remarkable simulation of, of writing new text. That's what ChatGPT does. But it's not, I mean, don't ever get the idea that there's some thinking being there writing this stuff. It's not. It's just, it's just it's just creating this stuff out of a huge amount of training data. And this, the scary part is how good it is, you know, how good it is at doing that.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm reading here that it sometimes writes plausible-sounding but incorrect and nonsensical yeah. answers. It really? says this behavior is common amongst large modules and is called hallucination. Mm.
3: <laughs> and well, that's and that's a um, um, and and what's, what's the word for it? Um, and, and ter- Anthropoph, anthropomorphization. Antrop- 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 yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, anthropomorphization. <laughs> Uh, of, you know, because because it's not really hallucinating, but it's acting like it's right. hallucinating.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And it says here that that it doesn't really have much knowledge beyond anything after September twenty twenty one. Before September twenty one. Oh, or September.
3: It depends. Well, it depends on if they're talking about the training ended on September twenty one, and that's and then it's gone. So there's kind of two boundaries, right? There's there's an early boundary before it had stuff to train on right if there were Mm -hmm, if there were mm no if there were no textbooks on how to how to write swift code before 2014 then your model about running writing swift code will have no knowledge of anything before 2014 right um and if they and if all the data they're using the stack overflow articles they're using end in 2020 for whatever reason then it will have no knowledge of anything after 2020 right so there's a bound on both sides
2: oh right yeah yeah interesting Cool. All right. So,
3: but here's the, here's the one thing I would love to see, but we will definitely not see
2: mm-hmm. air power. No, <laughs>
3: in, in Xcode, <laughs> in Xcode, a way to look at code, see a where something is referencing a protocol as opposed to the type behind it, a way of tracing all of the possible ways that all of the possible things that that is you know what i mean so uh, let me explain when you're tracing through code you get a new code base you're tracing through code you're trying to understand how it works one thing that i do often is just i start at the beginning and i start going through and then i just kind of probe down into the functions and probe down into the methods and the classes uh or the arguments and and kind of build kind of a working knowledge of how thing works just by reverse traversing the code or for whatever but then you hit a protocol and if it's a complicated enough system, you have no idea what the argument passed in that conforms to that protocol is because it's 30 different possible places that it could have come from. So this is a really hard problem because the whole idea of the protocols is, is to sort of hide that information and abstract away that information. But as a developer, you sometimes you want to know, right? It would be great when you're tracing through code, trying to solve a bug, to figure out how how you got here and what was the thing that called this and how you got here to a, to some spot where it's now hidden by a protocol. So I'd love to see kind of either like a visual tool that told me all the possible, um, all the possible places that this came from, you know, or, 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 or something like that, but it won't happen. I would love it, but it won't happen.
2: I want the code smell detector. Mm. <laughs> anyway, cool. So, Mark, you got a story here about the iOS, iOS 17. Oh, yeah, yeah. One
3: of the, yeah, the downside of every year, new new version of iOS is that, you know, more and more devices uh, drop off the supported list. And and this year, it looks like, the rumor is at least, it looks like that some of the classic devices like the original iPhone 10 are no longer going to be supported. You won't be able to update your iPhone 10 to iOS 17, which is kind of sad. Also, the first gen iPad Pro, I think, was on the list. Really a shame. Yeah, yeah, really. A
2: shame, Anything but with it's a less I A eleven, right?
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, I A eleven or earlier. So you'd have to have
2: an A twelve to move forward. Yeah, that's interesting.
3: Yeah, it's it is kind of sad because you know it used to be that Apple would pride themselves on having way way backward compatibility, and I guess well, I guess the iPhone ten came out what year was that?
2: Two thousand seventeen? Is that right? Something like that, yeah. Yep, November third, twenty
3: seventeen. Yeah, six years ago. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but I guess it was. So maybe it's time. All I know is my my eighty two year old dad is still using my old iPhone ten, and yeah. and I'm gonna have to do some IT tech support
2: <laughs> once mm, this happens. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I have I have um I have an uh, iPhone ten that I use as a, a video camera on my on my computer. But I don't have much use for it. it I think yeah, I think uh, I think it runs yeah, it runs sixteen. But I don't use it at all, all as often as I thought I would. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into our picks then. Um, I got a few. Obviously, since we've been away for a bit, um, this is a real quick one. Uh, there was a post about uh, from GitHub how they've the I don't know if you remember the 30th anniversary font that came out um, on the 30th anniversary of the Mac. Uh, it's a font representation of every single classic Mac going back, you know, through the portables and, you know, the Mac 2, the Mac 2X, all that kind of stuff. These are little uh, characters done in SVG where you can um, use them for whatever you want in your in your devices, in your art, and whatever. Um,
3: I'm looking at them. I, I remember a lot of these. So there's some nice ones here. The Mac 2, yeah. the 2CX from 1989. That was a great machine.
2: That's the one I started on. Yeah. That was my first Mac. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the next one is I don't know if people I I, mean, I signed up for more Mac newsletters than I than I used to. I still have a hard time getting through them all. But this is a link here um, from uh, uh, Um Awesome newsletters for iOS and Swift developers in 2022. And uh, let me just click on the link here. It's got you know all the the usual characters that that uh, people that I follow like Dave Verver. Uh, iOS Dev Weekly from Dave Verver, Swiftly from um, uh, I've forgotten his name now, <laughs> uh, Swift Evolution Monthly, you know um, Swift UI Weekly. So if you're into the, if you want to get some some uh, regular feeds from this stuff, uh, check out these this list of um, yeah Swift Brush, which I talked Swiftly Brush, which I talked about earlier in the in the fact check, and I believe that the same person Mario, Marco Eidinger. Um, I thought he had also had one on on uh, podcasts, but anyway. So yeah, just check that out if you're looking for some good newsletters to subscribe to, and maybe you don't already. Um, a couple other things too. So I had Mark uh, Moikins on the show. I guess it would have been last episode, uh, talking about his Swift or sorry, his Core Data mastery in Swift UI book. It's a basically an image book, um, and. Um, yeah, so I, I really like the way his, his style of uh, of teaching. He um, He it, it started out doing, when SwiftUI came out, he started doing these picture books to sort of keep up with what was, was changing. Um, and so rather than just tell you what the code does, on one side of the page he'll tell you what the code does, and then there's an actual representation uh, of an iPhone screen to show you what it does. And uh, he's, he, his style of teaching is very good because he breaks down every sort of element into its pieces and explains to them to you first and then tells you how to use them and so his explanation of uh the bits and pieces that make up core data the managed object context you know the uh persistent store coordinators all that kind of stuff he goes through each one of those things and defines them all and then shows you how to use them and it's it's quite a quite a deep book i think it's 600 pages or something like that or a thousand pages maybe um he's done one he's done a a swift ui mastery for layout and he's done this one he's done one one on combine um but yeah this was we were looking forward to this it came out last month um and uh yeah i highly recommend that how
3: how much of it is swift ui specific i'm looking at the chapters and it doesn't doesn't seem to me like it's it's limited to swift ui at least in that way no i think there's
2: there's a lot if you're yeah if you're trying to get your head wrapped around core data or even if you want to have a really good understanding I, i mean hit i'm his um explanation of predicates and uh which has always been tricky because it's kind of a in, in a foreign language if you think about it that way mm-hmm. uh his predicates and his filtering explanation was really really informative for me personally mm-hmm. so yeah cuz i've always and he's got a whole chart a whole page dedicated to the different kind of things you can put into a predicate and get get what you need out of your your data do you know
3: how sub predicates work now
2: do i know yeah. no yeah is it covered in the book uh-huh. i don't know I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. Yeah, but I highly recommend this this book. And uh, if you watch, if you follow him on online, uh, Big Mountain Studios um, on Twitter, and I don't think he's very active on Mastodon yet, but uh, he occasionally has special deals. So, so if you're looking for a deal, check that out. Um, and then the other day, I was watching uh, um, this uh, video by Stuart Lynch and uh he has a bunch of i've been following his videos a little bit but this one was really good for me because trailing closure syntax um can be challenging to sort of get your head wrapped around and uh he does an excellent job here he's got a he gives you a playground and as you go through the video you do you follow along and code with him and he breaks down all the sort of pieces on how closures work and you know um how because a lot of times in in tutorials and things like that you'll see people you'll see like mark said you'll see the sort of abstracted version of it after the fact or if you go into if you're working in xcode and you start to write uh, a a closure and you click on the uh, click the enter key or double click on the on the definition sometimes xcode will shorten it up and and kind of condense it into its sort of finite parts but um so what he does is he goes through the steps of how to how to write it out in in longhand if you will and then break it down and shows you how to to shorten it and then shows you what xcode will do with it right and by the time you've gotten through those five different stages of of how you could write a particular closure because like for instance the button syntax in in swift ui there are, you, you'll see you know five different ways of doing a button in swift ui but he kind of explains how by going through the video he explains Uh, by going through step by step in terms of how to how to compact it um what's actually going on in terms of like whether you use the the action and the label and what order they're in and and how you move the parenthesis um from the very bottom of the closure further up and then take out the argument names and things like that take out the commas um he explains how that how that why that's working and how that works and and the one thing that was really interesting for me was Personally, was was I always wondered what the in keyword was all about? And he just he just basically said like you know you want to use the name in the code that follows the closure. And just that one sentence sort of like the light bulb went on for me in terms of just what that in keyword actually means. Right?
3: Yeah, I remember when that first came up, people are arguing what the what the word should be because because in is not a great word. No, but nobody could no. come up with a better one. So
1: no, we got it.
2: Yeah, I mean it's one of the reasons why I tried. I, Look at other people, different people's explanations and things. Because sometimes somebody will say something in a a turn phrase will just sort of make the, the explanation really good. So I really uh and this I this only came out a week ago this particular video. So yeah, if you're trying to figure out Swift closures and if you want to understand how buttons and stuff like that work in Swift UI, mm-hmm. I highly recommend going through yeah. this this course. I may
3: sound like a curmudgeon here, but I th- I think Swift has gone way too far in making the code like simple to write.
2: Swifty, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, all of these crazy trailing closures and you know, not having to use a return statement, while they're all great in some places, It it's so easy to make completely unreadable code with mm-hmm. those stuff, those things. It's really a shame.
2: Oh, it's like my pet peeve, the one-letter variable name. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I wake up in the middle of cold sweats in the middle of the night thinking about those. Um, yeah. Yeah, so highly recommend that one. And then this other one came up uh I, I just stumbled across this one. This is this is the whole series from I'm just gonna get his name. Um Tonsdev is, is, is his is his handle. Um English dude from the UK. I actually stumbled across his uh add deep linking to your app um uh video. It's a bit long, it's about an hour and fifteen minutes, but uh but and again, another really good explanation of deep linking and the URL components and all that kind of stuff that goes into parsing it uh the the, uh, the say like the first you know quarter of the of this particular video is about uh deep linking but uh it goes through a really good explanation but this this whole thing I've given you here is the beginner's guide to the navigation stack, which is a new thing that we got last year from apple um ui navigation was was weird to begin with <laughs> um sort of sort of counterintuitive, intuitive like mark was saying a minute ago um and, uh, the, the navigation stack that we got last year was much more flexible in terms of where you can go with it and how you can use it. And, uh, yeah. So if you haven't really dove dove into it yet, um, take a look at this video, this series of videos, um, which explain it pretty well.
1: And then speaking of Daniel Steinberg over to you, Jaime. Yeah. I took a little peek, at the show notes I said, Oh, <laughs> this thing that I was going to save for a pick. Is a is a good lead in now. It's Daniel Steinberg's YouTube video, Syntax Color: How and Why I Present Code the Way I Do. It's it's pretty breezy. It's only about six ish minutes, and it covers you know if you are looking to present code and you want to do it the way that he does. He's got some pretty good ideas where he actually doesn't go with the syntax highlighting, which can be busy and a little hard to to sort of track. Instead, he makes things uh, pretty much all white and brings in color where he wants to highlight something. He makes visual space for something that he's about to, you know, insert more code here. And so it's, it's I think, a pretty good way to, to look at things and think about things. You don't have to get really fancy. Like the, the static screenshots of your presentation probably look really nice, but uh, this felt like it was more practical advice for uh, sharing in a learning environment.
2: Yeah, I was actually just talking to Daniel. I'm going to publish that episode after this one, but um, uh, he was—I he, noticed he just started uh, getting back into doing videos, and uh, this is just one of the, one of the ones that he just started uh, his YouTube channel up just recently. I think there's only like a few videos on his channel right now, right? Um, and there's a there's a developer I follow called uh, Vincent uh, Pradellez. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, but he actually did a, a video on uh, how he presents animated code in talks or in videos. And uh, his trick is is he uses magic move in Keynote. So yeah, I don't know if, you know, you know, you can have, like you can have, you can mark elements as moving on, on one slide to another and then Keynote will actually animate the move for you.
1: No, mm-hmm.
2: I do like the way D- Daniel talks about it here. What he does is, is um, he makes, he sort of, almost like grays out the, the the code that's on the screen and leaves a space for where he's going to write it. And then he in color puts the new, uh, the new lines in and his book is very, I'm reading it. Oh, actually I didn't put his book in here. Um, he wrote a book called the curious case of the async cafe, which, you know, I'll have a link in the show notes for this one and for next week. But in that one, he's does the same thing. He's got, um, he uses stories to, to sort of, create metaphors of a coffee shop to explain about about, uh, asynchronous code. Um, You know, imagine two people ordering coffee. Well, if if the waiter went away and delivered the first person coffee before taking the second person's order, that's kind of a, you know, a good use of case where you would want to use some sort of concurrency, right? Um, Those are the kind of metaphors he writes. But yeah, same thing he writes. The the code is in gray and then the, the new lines are in, the lines he's adding are kind of highlighted in orange. So it's easier to read and reason about good stuff. All right. Well, I guess that's it for another week. So, Hey, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, where do they find you?
3: Mark R at mapsoft.com or see me at a uh, WDC this year.
2: Ooh, look for him in the crowd. Get yeah. that, get that, uh, all important selfie with Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll have to send you some, uh, some swag, I guess. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. have any swag. Yeah. I don't have any, but I'll find some. Um and hi me. If people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. Alright, my name is Timitra T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine and the Mastodon machine and all the things. So until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code Podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word.
3: I'm anyway. still doing, are you still doing uh, spotcast every week?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Well, oh. um, we took a break last summer because there was no Star Trek stuff. Mm. But, uh, I mean, like, like our season five was almost, was 50 weeks or something like that, I think, Jaime? Yeah. It was pretty close because just one thing led into the other. But um, this year they seem to be doubling up stuff, like um, Bad Batch and Mandalorian are on at the same time, like same, within weeks of each other. And um, what do we have after Picard coming
1: up? So I think what we ran into was what we consider a season is kind of loose. It's usually around Star Trek. But, you know, if Paramount Plus doesn't have anything, sometimes uh, like HBO Maximite or another channel, it kind of Disney Plus, it kind of depends. I think this year will probably be a little bit different because uh, the Marvel stuff is going to cut way back. Right. They sort of uh, overextended themselves. They're going to cut back. Disney's coming back. Paramount seems to have run into some uh, probably COVID related production issues like, whoops, Discovery's Mm going to be a minute. Uh, Strange New World is going to be a minute. Like there's not the back to back to back to back stuff. So we'll probably have more uh, mini breaks or even a hiatus where we didn't have one last time just because everything happened to line up that way.
2: Yeah, the other thing that's happening is too is that I think the 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 bloom is off the rose on streaming media. Like um, the like the numbers for broadcast television are tr- still pretty strong, and and theater movies are pretty strong, but um, they're finding that um, the people are dropping off of streaming, and and or like like the Netflix is the stuff they're doing, the shenanigans they're going through. It's if you look at the numbers, uh, I don't think they're getting as many people um, streaming as they thought they were going to get.
3: There's too many services. Everything's diluted. Quality is not. Well, that's there.
2: true. That's true. Yeah, that's true too. But I mean, because you know, Disney was hard at it for a while, especially with the Marvel stuff and and yeah. even Star Wars. I mean, I I think Star Wars <coughs> kind of took a step, look back after um, Solo, right? They kind of they kind of you know they that's when they stopped making movies, right? Um, although I think they did one more Star Wars movie, right? Isn't that Rise of Skywalker came after
1: Solo? I think, but. um... Mm-hmm. I mean they had to finish the trilogy, right? that would have been pretty uh, pretty shocking if they didn't. They just stopped doing the other side stories.
2: It's true. And the TV shows are that much better, but um especially Andor, Andor is really good. But um yeah, so I mean like it's it's kind of like the and, and you know, we're talking about this all the time on on the show and that they're um they're cutting back on on the productions they're making, right? Especially Marvel. And um who's the guy that left um Marvel and's gone over to the other camp? Um
1: is it yeah, a director? The, are, you, are you thinking of yeah. um oh man, I see his face from Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy, yeah, yeah. And and the Suicide Squad. Oh my gosh, James Gunn. There you go. James Gunn. James Gunn, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's gone over to the Disney camp, I think, or the Paramount Plus or something. Or the DC. DC, right, right. He's right. run he's essentially the Kevin Feige person who is um running the whole uh I don't know, cinematic universe that they're trying to start over there. So it's it's going through another restart. In the uh, DC world, yeah. So I mean,
2: that's that's the so all uh, all of those things sort of play into um, how we're doing with with podcasts. So it's funny though, you know, um Amazon Music just added podcasts, and and we're getting a weird spike in um our statistics, um which is which is helping. <laughs> it's is actually is actually giving better numbers than Apple Podcasts does, which is which is strange because Apple Podcasts usually leads the way, right? So. So I I think it's a mistake, but I think we're just going to let it ride and hopefully it'll push us into the next level, which, you know, will give us more. It, we're kind of where we were in the first or second year of, Spock, or of uh, more than just code, where we were still sort of floundering along. We used to joke about having three listeners, you know, which wasn't too far from the truth. But, <laughs> you know, uh, we need to get to like the, the platform we're on. We need to have like 500 listeners a week to sort of get to have them take us seriously. Right. So.
1: But, so, uh, do you think okay, there's, there's like just... the uh, bank error in your favor? If you remember that card from Monopoly,
2: yeah. Well, like like Amazon does have statistics. Like if I go to Amazon Podcast and look at the the listens over there, right? I think they're much more conservative in terms of what they're counting. And I think that the the provider, the Red Circle people that we're with for posting over there, um, they're ca- I think they're they're double counting or triple counting or quadruple counting. It's like it's way way bigger the numbers over there that they're reporting is from being on Amazon music than what is really happening. Right. So, but I'm I'm not going to mention it. (laughs) I'm not going to point out their, their, their bug because
1: it's in my favor. Right. Well, that's what I'm wondering if like, you know, I wouldn't expect that avenue to have that sort of stuff. So I don't know if there's a uh, you ask your Amazon Echo to play you a podcast and it just happens to choose ours for some reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or if a, uh, a a sneaky friend of the show has, uh, you know, left a little Easter egg surprise. Hey, we were just wondering if you'd remembered.
3: <laughs> <clears throat> no, I, I had. But uh, Zoom decided to install right at the
2: last second. Oh, the update. Oh, oh, that happened, happened too. Yeah. Yeah. There's things, and before you know, that, you guys I couldn't Zoom find my work,
3: head headphones. We use Google Meet mostly.
2: Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
3: But I'm not on my work machine. So on my
2: yeah, we use uh, for that core coffee thing that I go to every couple of weeks. They use Google Meet over there. I, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, I kind of so. like
3: Zoom better actually, but I don't know. Yeah, what do you do?
2: Well, Google's always been sort of weird. I mean, they used to use it at Wonderlic all the time. We and we had no end of problems with it. Yeah, I can't. What did we switch to? I guess we must have switched to Zoom. Yeah, we saw was like it would always be like you know, twenty of us trying to get on at once, and it just wouldn't work. And this is going yeah. back like and it years, has of course. But.
3: weird random bugs. Like for some reason, sometimes I can't share a window. Yeah, and I don't know how to fix it. I just I do I end up doing something, and eventually it fixes itself. You know, right? But yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I did. Yeah, just kind of annoying.
2: Yeah. Did you see that report on startups that came out a couple of weeks ago? Um... Um, I don't know what you call it, like the, the top 100 or whatever startups that are doing well? Uh, yeah, there's always that kind of thing. We were in it like around 30, something like that, which is yeah. pretty good for us. But you nice. guys were number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> setting the pace. Yeah. As we say at Spot Hero, everything's a car analogy, right? <laughs> is it? Yeah, setting the pace and... You know, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's all, yeah, all car
3: metaphors. Yeah. Well, for us, everything is a food
1: metaphor. Oh, yeah. Hmm.
2: And I mean, you pasted in the uh, async sequence you were talking about. Yeah.
1: Because <laughs> they say, uh, you know, in the following example, the map method transforms each int received from a counter sequence into a string, mm. which you look at the code and like, yep, that's FizzBuzz right there. Like it's, it's, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> You're pretty much there. Oh, it's got the even odd
2: thing in there too. Yeah, cool. Neato. So, Mark, I have tickets to see Peter Gabriel and oh, uh, and Eric Clapton one night after each other.
3: I didn't know. that Peter Gabriel had announced a North America tour.
2: Yeah. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah. It's been out for. He's got a new album out. He's been. Yeah, I, I follow him on 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 Facebook. So that's why probably you didn't see it, but um, well,
3: I knew he had he was he had a European tour, but oh, okay, just last week they announced it North American yeah. shows.
2: Okay, let me see. Is it too late? Let's see if it's too late for Mark. And Eric Clapton as well, right?
3: Over 11th at the Chase Center. Yeah, I'm going to have to go to that. Tickets probably haven't gone on sale yet.
2: Eric Clapton, they have. No,
3: no, uh, Peter Gabriel. Really? Well, I don't know if they have
2: them. I I got mine a month ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Mind you, I think I got them on the Peter Gabriel fan club, buy them now kind of thing, right? hmm. Where do you go see them play?
3: Uh, Yeah, they are on sale, which means there won't be good seats left crap. The Chase Center in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, crap. <laughs> floor <Sorry>. seats. In, <laughs> floor seats in the middle section. Seven hundred and fifty bucks.
2: Is that a reseller or brand new? That's
3: Ticketmaster. Which, yeah. are, which is probably like their surge pricing thing that they have, which is crap.
2: They've added surge, surge pricing.
3: Not surge, but demand pricing. Yeah, Ticketmaster oh. is a bunch of thieves. Crap. Yeah, there aren't. Wow! Well, how did I miss this? The seats are
2: there's not a lot of good seats left. I'm sitting on the opposite side of the the arena from him. Like that's where I first saw him when I first very first time I saw him back in the in the 80s. But um,
3: I saw him once. Somehow I lucked into these tickets um, when he was doing the uh, the Up tour, which was his last big mm-hmm. tour. Uh, yeah. He, it w- he he was doing the theater in the round kind of thing. Where it was the yeah yeah? I was in the second row for that.
2: Wow, that was pretty
3: amazing. Yes
2: yeah that is pretty cool yeah yeah how much did you pay for those
3: it wasn't unreasonable as i recall i yeah you know because that was long enough ago i wasn't spending you know hundreds of dollars on tickets concert tickets yeah, those, yeah you know, 20 that. years ago um so i mean it i can't imagine it would, it would have been more than 100 bucks can't, can't imagine it was
2: yeah well we, we were up in the stands for that one and uh but but still even with the theater in the round it was still pretty cool right like didn't matter where you sat you had a good seat right yeah yeah um
3: yeah this is at this, so this is at the chase center where um where the golden state warriors basketball team plays it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a nice mm-hmm. auditorium but it's big
2: they fit they, can like they fit nice in shrink in there um can they fit not, they could but they so were do the raptors where the raptors play the the the, the actual um i don't know what you call it the boards or whatever that they play on are so far away from the from the yeah, seats because yeah. it's an it's an ice rink right oh
3: yeah 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 i mean they i i I've, i'm sure they could 100% sure they could uh, but there's no san francisco hockey team so they don't
2: there's a san jose oh it's hockey in san francisco team. oh this is it's in san francisco. francisco
3: in san francisco yeah yeah no in, in san jose where the sharks play we have got the SAP center which is which is very similar actually to the chase center yeah chase center is newer and nicer but it's, you know, similar size. But yeah, they definitely have hockey and, and concerts.
2: Do they not have many shows there in San Jose?
3: No, they have plenty. They have plenty. Yeah. 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 Um, it's it's sort of fifty fifty. If it's if it's a big name show, it's sorta of, I mean that yeah, I mean, as much as I, as it pains me, the um you know, still the premier place is San Francisco for shows. Uh for the big name shows. But there's plenty of of big you know, plenty of big name people come to San Jose like Paul McCartney came to San Jose instead of San Francisco. Oh,
2: really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I haven't been to Toronto in forever. Cause I've not seen him McCartney.
3: You know who I just saw last weekend? Uh, this is the show I was talking about. That was in the pack. General admission, um, mm. was, have you heard of Molly Tuttle? No. Is that a person? That's a person. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, she's, no, no, she's a, she just won a Grammy of uh, for best bluegrass album and she she was nominated for best you know best
2: new artist bluegrass so was a mosh pit so, was there
3: no it wasn't <laughs> definitely wasn't a mosh pit but uh, so you know i was a little concerned that it was going to be a little too country ish because yeah. you know i listened to her album on on apple music and it, the album itself is kind of country ish but i was pleasantly surprised it was very like shredding bluegrass style which is which is great it's, that's a lot of fun you know what I mean? The really, really fast, you know, guitar picking yeah, yeah. and banjo yeah. and and mandolin and all that. And and the coolest thing is that even so, even though she's like a you know huge national star now and is based out of Nashville, uh, she yeah. she grew up in Palo Alto, California. Really? Uh, yeah, and and so she played at a tiny, tiny club uh, that she said it, it's ten minutes away from where she grew up. And her dad, hmm. her dad is. Um, sort of a well-known Bay area musician who is one of the teachers at like the, the big local guitar shop. So all, oh, the, all the musicians yeah. know the dad, right? So it's, right. yeah, it's kind of a cool, so when she came, you know, she had him come up and do a couple of songs and all that. So it's kind of a cool kind of homecoming, you know, local kid makes big, you know, kind of thing and comes home and yeah. So a great show. If she comes around, you should check her out. A lot of fun.
2: Cool i just reading another one of these pages by this uh, I digger guy. How to support all the various people out there. North, my name's on on there. <laughs>
3: huh. Interesting. So I can get tickets for Peter Gabriel in the second deck. Yeah, there's lots of those available,
2: and they're cheap. I'm on the third deck, so I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Well, I'm on the second. No. deck I guess technically, yeah. They're
3: pretty cheap too
2: for tickets. They're Only
3: seventy three bucks.
2: Yeah, that's about what I paid. Yeah,
3: but at the same time for uh i got tickets for steve hackett guitarist for
2: Mm -hmm, genesis mm -hmm.
3: as opposed to peter gabriel singer for genesis for uh 11th row at a place that probably seats about 500 people uh for like 75 bucks
2: yeah yeah that's i'm not gonna go i I passed on his tickets this year so i've I've seen him last three four years
3: oh he is he's like one of the the must i have seen him like
2: 11 times yeah i know
3: He's, he's doing Foxtrot at fifty this year. No, I know he's doing Foxtrot the whole way through.
2: He did uh, he did selling England by the pound yeah, on the last tour.
3: Out. Yeah, yeah, and seconds out. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Seconds out would have been a great show to see. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. It's my favorite album by them.
3: Yeah. Who else am I going to see? I'm I'm seeing uh, Rigo Star uh, in San Jose. That'll be yeah, fun. You that. Yeah. You, you know that uh, you know that Shakti is touring right?
2: Uh, like the guy from John McLaughlin. John McLaughlin. Yeah. And Shakti? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. First time in really? twenty years, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah you should mainland. look for that.
2: You, did you hear about the Cure, you, the Cure tour? You know the Cure, right? Yeah,
3: I did hear that they're touring. Yeah, yeah. Is that a big deal? I don't know.
2: Well, so it was on a waiting list, so we got tickets. Well, the the worst, the bad thing about us in Toronto is Jonathan's a huge Cure fan, and so we got we both got tickets, but we got you know like really bleedy kind of tickets, but it's for a really small venue. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, he's playing. They're playing arenas in around us, but this one particular place they're playing in a in like a 12,000, 15,000 seat venue, right? Which makes no sense in Toronto. They could easily have sold two or three nights, right? But uh, Robert Smith went after Ticketmaster and said, you cannot charge the outrageous charges that you you charge. So the tickets are all really Mm low-priced, right? Um, And he went after them, because some people had bought tickets, these like $20, $30 tickets or whatever, and then the service charges were more than the tickets prices yeah so he went after them and it got everybody who bought a ticket a refund from Ticketmaster nice the other thing is he's preventing all the third-party scalpers from selling the tickets so you can't get them on uh, SeatGeek and you can't get them on StubHub and he's making Ticketmaster let people sell them back if they can't go Hmm. right so he's like totally totally like like Taylor Swift the uh the whole Ticketmaster deal right (laughs)
3: Yeah, it kind of seems like momentum is building up to take down the Ticketmaster monopoly, which is long overdue. Yeah, long yeah. Overdue.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's weird that their website melting down is what caused everybody to feel like this is the last straw. Yeah, it kind of seems like the 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 least non-crime thing that could have happened. Yeah, it's like of all yeah. the things you got,
2: it was this. All right, sure. What? How did the site melt down?
3: Oh, Taylor Swift.
2: Oh, Taylor Swift. So,
3: yeah. So, you know, basically a bunch of congressmen had their teenage daughters not be able to get tickets for Taylor Swift. Oh, really? So all of a sudden Congress is up in arms about it. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. And then they're blaming Ticketmaster, even though, as Jaime said, this is like, as Ticketmaster goes, this is like the the least offensive thing they've done. They just had, you know, their servers went down when people were in line. Yeah. But good. Whatever it takes.
2: Yeah. Nice. Cool. So, do we turn off the microphones and talk about work now?
1: (laughs) Sure. The real talk. Sure.
2: The real, the real, sorry folks, this is the real podcast part starting. Let me just stop my recording here.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.